This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Spy balloons over the USA. It sounds like a new Disney movie, but in Biden's America, it's real life. But don't worry, it only took a few days to shoot it down because Joe wanted to let it finish spying first. The show starts now. It wasn't a bird or a plane. It could have been a Valentine's gift from Fang Fang, but it was definitely a Chinese spy balloon. And it floated over our country spying for seven whole freaking days before it was finally shot down over the Atlantic. That communist balloon was allowed to travel more freely in and out of our country than an unvaccinated tourist. This is what happens when your president is a weakling and or likely and a Chinese beneficiary. And worse, to save his own apples, Biden wanted to cover up the balloon situation until the damn thing was so obvious they couldn't hide it anymore. Because Joe didn't want to put a damper on Secretary Blinken's planned and now canceled trip to Beijing. This is also typical of this administration, a clown show through and through, now with balloons too. How fitting. Borders left open, skies undefended, and fifth graders learning how to twerk from drag queens while Chinese students study quantum physics. Anyone think this is going to end well? If you think that balloon was intrusive and problematic, wait till you hear about TikTok. That balloon was the size of three buses, but that little device in your hands and your kids' hands is far more intrusive and dangerous. Bet on that. But most of you don't care because you learn stupid dances on it and how to cook your chicken and flipping cold medication. Useful, I'm sure. But look, it's as plain as that giant-ass balloon flying overhead. China is flexing its muscles because it can. They say it was an accidental situation and just a civilian weather balloon that strayed way, way off course. Yeah, sure thing. The Chinese wanted an overwatch of our nation and our military assets, all to document a cold front moving in. How considerate of those lovable communists. But I've got so many questions here, so who better to have on deck than former Deputy National Security Advisor under President Trump, KT McFarland. Oh, KT, I have so many questions for you, but I want to start out with the most simple one. If this was flying over our airspace for several days, why did it take so long to shoot it down? Well, the excuses that the Biden administration gave are, number one, well, if we shoot it down, there'll be a lot of debris. It might hit somebody. And number two, oh, well, it wasn't that important that intelligence they were gathering really wasn't that worthwhile. Look, all those are just silly mistakes and silly you know, it's just a lot of subterfuge. This is a big deal. The Chinese penetrated American airspace. What they could have used that balloon for and what they might be intending to use it for at some point in the future is nuclear weapons, for example, in addition to spying. So it's a really big deal. And the Biden administration, as you very well pointed out, had a lot of time they could have dealt with it. And yet they refused to do it. You know, it's worth telling you, Tommy, that in the last couple of days, um, a number of Trump administration officials, we all have been talking to each other, State Department, NSC people, Defense Department people, intelligence community people. And we've all asked each other, did you know about these supposed balloons in the, in the Trump administration? Anybody tell you? And we have all agreed nobody knew anything about it. So it brings up sort of three points. One, 
did the military, um, did they, were they running cover, political cover for President Biden? Did they say, oh, well, it happened during Trump too, so therefore it's not that big a deal. Number two, were they, um, was the Pentagon deciding that they weren't going to tell the Trump administration people? Did they know it was happening five years ago? And they just decided, well, we're not going to tell Trump people. Or number three, did they not know? I mean, are they now just saying, oh, well, maybe during the Trump administration this happened too? All three of those are really horrible prospects. One would be the military is politically compromised. Number two, the military is politically compromised. And number three, the military is pretty incompetent if they didn't see a balloon that people in Montana could look up at the sky and see that there was a spy balloon up there. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because it did not take long for the media and for the Biden lackeys, for a better lack of a better word, to jump up and say, you know what, this happened during Trump and there were three balloons. Maybe there were 10 balloons. Maybe Donald Trump was in the balloon. I mean, quickly, they <laughs> wanted to spin a narrative and it's like, but Trump is worse. That's been the story of this entire administration is everything that they've done wrong. Trump has done worse or Trump created the problem. We know this. But the fact that a local paper in Montana was the one that said, this looks a little suspicious, and the world really had to find out about this and be confirmed that this was a Chinese spy balloon by a little paper in Montana. I mean, I'm from the Midwest, so it's a feather in our cap, but my goodness, you'd think that something that big and that obvious, the Biden administration wouldn't think it could cover up, but they certainly did, and they knew about this long, long ago and just let it go. Yeah, that, that's the unsettling thing, is that they, they saw it coming, they knew it was coming, they knew it was over the United States, and they probably thought they were going to get away with not commenting on it. And as you pointed out at the very beginning, what they really wanted was a yet another diplomatic exchange where Secretary of State Blinken was going to go to China, and they were going to, they, this administration thinks the more meetings you have, the more successful your diplomacy is. But in fact, every time that American officials in the Biden administration meet the Chinese, the Chinese humiliate them, read them the riot act. So the idea that the administration thought they were going to get away with this, that's even more upsetting. So if indeed there was a balloon that Trump knew about during his administration, or if Donald Trump was our president right now, being that you have firsthand knowledge of this, what would have happened right. to that balloon under a Trump administration and how would it have gone differently than under this current one? Here's what would have happened. Number one, it would have been shot out of the sky. And if it hadn't been shot out, maybe we would have somehow towed it to ground and we would have used the intelligence information. But President Trump told me one time, he said, you know, when I was president, the reason you never heard from Putin, you never heard from the Chinese president. He said, I told him both. He said, I said to Putin, if you go into Ukraine, I'm going to nuke Moscow. And he said, and I said the same thing to the Chinese president about Taiwan. And he started with a you know, blink and a twinkle. He said, do you think they believe me? No, if they didn't believe me. But there might have been about a 5% chance they thought I could do something retaliatory. That's what's called deterrence. And no, the Chinese would never have dared, dared to do this during the Trump administration. And anybody in the Pentagon who's leaking information saying, oh, oh, it's a Donald Trump did it. Oh, oh, Donald Trump was flying the balloon. It, it's just it's hogwash. Trump and none of us would have tolerated this for a minute. And 
during that entire Trump administration, it was very clear that the world was fearful of Donald Trump. Our allies felt protected by our country and our strength of our country, not because we were going to hand them a blank check necessarily, but because we were strong. Mm -hmm. And when the United States is strong, you don't have to hand out tanks and blank checks. You have peace through strength, which is the exact opposite of what we're yeah. dealing with now. But I want to know what you think the motivation is, besides just China flexing its muscle because Biden is weak. What do you think the larger picture is here. What message are they trying to send us and what should we be prepared for in the coming months or even the coming years from China? You know, this is the important question that everybody's not really talking about with this whole balloon thing is, is what's really going on here. The Chinese have every intention of replacing the United States economically, politically, militarily, technologically. They want to take Taiwan in the next several years. They don't want to do it with a war. They want to do it because Taiwan capitulates, because Taiwan has no other choice. And what is our response then to all of this? Well, the Chinese, as Joe Biden said when he ran for election to president the first time, he said, oh, China, they can't eat our lunch. They're really good guys. They're our friends. No, they're not. And we should wake up to the fact that the Chinese, within a very short period of time, plan to replace the United States as the dominant world power, rewrite the rules of order, and push us into the position of a has-been nation. They believe to their bones that the United States is in inevitable decline and that they are inevitably going to rule the world. And that's why it's so important for any American of any political party to say, okay, what steps are we going to take now? We're not just going to criticize them. We've got some very specific things we need to do, like we did in the Reagan administration where I was a member. You rebuild your defenses. You make sure that our technology is superior. You make sure you don't let the Chinese steal or buy our technology. You don't let them push us around all over the world. And you use the one thing that America is really good at, which is our trade, our technology, our economy, and our alliance system to check China at every single step. We're not doing any of that stuff. Well, there's some more questions about exactly why we're not doing that, but I want to get into something that you said as well, because you mentioned they don't necessarily want to go to war. They don't want to take Taiwan. They don't want to go to war head-to-head -head with the USA. However, they're doing things that, to me, and I'm sure to you, shows that they are infiltrating us in a much uh, I think a much more subtle way. One, as I already mentioned, mm -hmm. TikTok. Even if they're not spying on you through TikTok, they're melting children's brains with TikTok, and they're teaching their students and their, their young people to be superior and highly educated. Meanwhile, our students are getting dumber, if not for COVID and being masked and remote learning for years at a time, which also, ding, 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 China made. But now they've got TikTok making people stupid. They're buying up farmland. Now they got balloons in the sky. I mean, it's a little things here and there. And it's piling up to the point where I don't know how anybody couldn't see it's right in front of our face. But I wonder, with this president, with his son, with what we know from that laptop, what we know about the big guy and some of these trips over to China and these diplomats that they were meeting with that were probably highly compromised, what part do you think that plays into this and how Joe Biden's reacting to that nation? You know, it, the important thing to remember is countries don't want to go to war. They want their objectives, but they don't want to have to fight for them. So the way, the best thing the United States could do is to show China how impossible it would be for them to win in Taiwan. That's what they're trying to show us, that, well, we could take Taiwan. That's why they're having all these military uh, maneuverings around Taiwan to show the rest of the world, well, you know, don't even try to help Taiwan because we've got it notched. The important thing for the United States is, as you pointed out, is peace through strength. We don't want to have, and that means economic, military, all sorts of strength. It doesn't just mean go to war strength. 
And peace means a lot of different things. Peace is when the other guy decides it's not worth it or he can't prevail. That's called deterrence. And that's what we should be doing. And we are not doing. In fact, the opposite has happened. And with regard to what's, why is this administration just so stuck in the sand? I mean, why are they not recognizing what everyone else can see? I just keep, you know, people said initially, oh, well, maybe Biden was compromised. And I kind of thought, well, maybe that's a little overreaction. But look at the Penn-Biden Center, which is where these supposedly classified documents were stored. Who else was at that Penn Center? Well, the Chinese bought it. They paid for it. And then all of the senior officials in the Biden administration were there. They were people who were senior officials in the Obama administration. So they kind of went to the Biden Center where they were basically indirectly paid by the Chinese government. And so why are they so soft on China? Why do they refuse to acknowledge, as you point out, that TikTok's trying to melt the brains of our kids? I don't know. Are they compromised? So far, they haven't proved to me that they're not compromised. That's what's truly scary to me is there are a lot of things that when we even talk about them, we get immediately dismissed as conspiracy theorists. But it's very real information with a lot of facts to back all that up that we don't know if we're ever going to know because there seems to be a giant lack of transparency. But you mentioned our military, greatest military in the world. However, we've seen some declines in our military, not because of the men and women serving and our valiant mission and what they've been able to do, but because of the curriculum, so to speak. They're pushing this wokeness, this diversity, inclusion, LGBTQ, everything is about, you know, training them to be aware of white supremacy at every turn. It feels like our military is also being compromised, but not by any other country, from within by a woke agenda that is nothing more than a social experiment. Do you have some concerns about that down the line? Yeah, the Chinese understand that the way you conquer a society is from within. That's TikTok. That's all the things that are encouraging the United States basically to hate the United States. But what the military is doing is helping them on their goal. The whole you know woke thing that the military is just so consumed with. If you're a military officer, if you're a military enlisted man or woman, you only have so many hours of a day to prepare, to, pr- to be a warfighter, to study, to learn new equipment. But if you're busy spending a good and increasing percentage of your time dealing with the woke agenda, what falls out of the bottom of that curriculum? War fighting agenda. And that's why I think we're seeing a real issue with any of the war games the Pentagon is, is showing. You know, it's normal for the Pentagon to do war gaming every possible contingency. But they're war gaming. What would happen in Asia if the United States and China went to war over Taiwan, over, over, the, over the Western Pacific? What would happen? And the war games all show the United States does not prevail. And that should be a giant wake-up call to the Pentagon and to the U.S. military to let's focus on warfighting capability. That's what we're supposed to be all about. We're spending almost a trillion dollars a year to become the best military in the world and maintain our edge. But somehow that is falling away from the wayside. And it's far more important for military personnel to be concerned about the woke agenda than it is about defending the country. Or, case in point, looking up in the air and seeing a, a spy balloon penetrating American airspace. You know, they don't protect our border. They don't protect our skies. What are they doing? Well, exactly. And that is also a very strong message that we're sending to China, that they have better control and overwatch over our country than we do. But I saw a meme over the weekend and, you know, I had to chuckle at it. But then I started to think about it. And, you know, it kind of rings true. It was if that spy balloon was over Ukraine, we would have shot that thing down on sight because we are far (laughs) more concerned with protecting Ukraine. So that's my last question for you. I know there's a lot of debate and it's not necessarily along party lines, which most of these discussions are. A lot of Republicans Mm -hmm. also believe in sending a blank check 
contract to Ukraine, or more accurately, in my opinion, to Zelensky. What do you see this as? And do you see this being a winnable strategy for the United States, for Ukraine? What happens here if we just continue to send tanks, uh, unlimited money and funds and supplies and resources? How does this end? It's important to understand that wars are expensive and we're paying for this war. It's important to understand that Russia is paying for this war because of high energy prices. Russia does one thing. They export oil and natural gas. They make a lot of money from it. When oil prices are high, the Russians have historically rebuilt their military, invaded their neighbors and fought proxy wars. When energy prices are low, the Russians can't afford to do any of those things. So if we, the United States, really wanted to clip Putin, really wanted to end this war. We would end the American war on fossil fuels. The United States would not just be energy independent, we would be energy dominant. And that would drive the price of oil and natural gas down, be terrific for our economy, it would bankrupt the Russians. So Putin could dream all he wants about a Ukraine war, he couldn't afford it. That's the way to win that war. I love that because that's something that everyone should be able to get behind. That is an America first agenda, but it's also an yeah. agenda that keeps the world safer. But I got to tell you, KT, when I look at everything going on with Ukraine and I see Zelensky come to speak before Congress wearing a tracksuit and complaining that we're not sending him more money, it boils my blood as an average American. And I don't see why we continue to hemorrhage funds to Zelensky, especially when they don't have the banking infrastructure that allows us to really know how these funds are being used, where they're going, right. and to really audit this spending. But I know that you know far more than me. So do you think that what we're doing right now and the money that we've spent thus far, do you think that was a smart move? And should we send more? Should we be sending tanks? Is that the point that we are in this, I guess, this war that we're fighting for Ukraine? Look, I don't think the United States should go to World War III over Ukraine. I think we should let the Ukrainians fight. We should give them the stuff. But we should understand that when we support and supply Ukraine, it shouldn't come at the expense of our own national security. No, it should not. The tanks that we send shouldn't come from our stockpile of tents. So if, if the president were real about this, he would go to Congress and say, look, we're spending a lot of money on Ukraine. It's coming out of the defense budget, essentially. What we need to do is understand that that should be separate. We shouldn't cannibalize the American military to give it to Ukraine. The other thing I would say is I don't see how Ukraine wins this war while Russia continues to have unlimited forces, supplies and, and windfall profits to fight this war. But I do think Ukraine could win the peace. And here's how they would win it. If the fighting stopped, neither side gets all they want, neither just enough to live with. And then what happens after the fighting stops? The world rushes in to rebuild Ukraine. In every country, every company in the world, there'll be a trillion dollars that goes into Ukraine to rebuild their agricultural resources, to, to rebuild their um, manufacturing base, to rebuild their very wealthy natural resources. So within a couple of years of the peace, Ukraine is fully integrated into Europe. They're in NATO. They're in the European economy. Meanwhile, where's Russia three years after the peace? They're broke. We presumably a new American president have, pushes the price of oil down and makes us energy independent and bankrupts the Russians. So the Russians are broke. They're a pariah state. Nobody's going to side up with Russia against Europe. And that's how you win the peace. It's not just the fighting today. It's looking forward. How do you get your objectives? As I worked when pre with President Reagan, how do you achieve your objectives without firing a shot? You use the American economic weapon. That's how to win the peace. Those are great tools, and I just hope that we can uh, move towards that 
while we still have this president in office and we don't have to wait two more years, but uh, I'm not going to hold my breath. Katie, thank you don't so much. For, <laughs> thank you so much for all this information <laughs> that you've given us and given me. It's so great to see you and please come back anytime. I'd love to. Thanks so much for what you're doing, Tommy. Well, Keep it up. Thank you. Good to see you. Still ahead. With each passing day, California slips further into madness, but sadly not far enough so as to avoid falling into the ocean for the wake-up call it needs. Joining me next is SoCal gym owner who has had enough. Lou Uradell is on deck. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So a teenage girl exercises her First Amendment rights by voicing her very legitimate concerns regarding a biological male with male parts using the women's locker room in Santee, California. What does she get? Support from the community? From the feminists? No, she gets labeled a bigot and the rainbow mafia descends on the council because apparently being uncomfortable around a penis in the women's locker room is far right and extreme. Welcome to California. Joining me now with his passionate take is the owner of Metroflex Gym in Oceanside, California and host of the dreaded Patriot show, Lou Uradell. Lou, it's great to have you. It's been a long time coming. And first of all, God bless you for sticking it out in California, sir. Yeah, what can I say? I, I love this place out here, and I'm going to keep fighting for it. Well, that's fantastic because somebody needs to fight for it uh, unless it completely falls into the ocean, which would be a very sad <laughs> day because of the natural beauty and the weather. But I want to talk about this first situation, this YMCA, and what's going on here. A 17-year-old girl says, hey, I, I don't really like being around male parts in my women's locker room. Not appropriate. Now, five years ago, that would have been a battle cry for the feminists, the Me Too movement. They would have said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. This is abusive. But now, flash forward, the LGBTQ rainbow mafia sets in, and now this girl is the one that's being labeled a bigot and problematic. Tell me what's going on there. Well, it's, it's pretty simple. Real women can't be men. It's, it's, this, it's just how it works. A real man can't be women, I guess, is the thing. It's, and it's this absurd inclusion that excludes everyone that has a rational thought. And they label you as a bigot or a, or a homophobe if you disagree with them. And that's what's going on. This girl goes in. She sees this guy in there. She feels threatened. And they the YMCA staff tells her, listen, if, you're, if what you're seeing in there isn't a man, that's a woman. And you shouldn't be worried about it. And this is happening. This, when you, these things happen, it's going to start a cascade effect. This is a slippery slope. Men are going to start getting the ideas. And they can start going into women's locker rooms. You're going to have perverts. You're going to have all kinds of things happening. And this just can't happen. It's an assault on women and it's an assault on women's identity. Well, it doesn't surprise me coming out of California because there is a groupthink mentality there that if you do voice something that upsets the Rainbow Mafia, we know that it's incredibly liberal and it's very LGBTQ friendly to a fault in many places. But this is very typical of something that would happen in California, especially now this rallying cry that by saying that 
you don't feel uncomfortable seeing male parts in your women's locker room, that somehow now you are transphobic and homophobic and an awful person and a bigot. I mean, this is the snowball effect, and this is how they win these types of arguments because people just give up. They don't want to be called a name. But is there something that can be done in this specific situation with this YMCA to maybe change the tune here and so that average people like yourself could stand up and make a difference? So what we're doing is we're going down to the Santee City Council. We're going to show up in force and in numbers, and we're going to speak out. that YMCA, they're completely dedicated to this agenda, so we have to go around them. So the city of Santee has a lease with the YMCA for $1 a year. That's what they pay. One, I would love a lease like that for my gym, but they have a lease for $1 a year, so we're going to ask the city to cancel that. We get enough people down there. We'd be loud enough. That's the goal. Cancel the lease. Close down the YMCA. It'll be a victory. It'll send a message to a lot of other YMCAs out there. No, that's fantastic. And that's something that's a great solution-driven idea, which I love. But you brought up that you're a gym owner. And I know in California, you guys had a real hell of a time during COVID. It lasted far longer. I got to tell you, Lou, I left LA, California. I left on April 1st. 2020. So mm -hmm. I saw the writing on the wall. I was there in March when we were the first state to lock down. And I said, get me out of here as fast as possible. But I, for the life of me, cannot imagine living in California during that time and how ass backwards everything was. Gyms are closed. Beaches are closed. Hiking trails are closed. You're in the most beautiful state in the country, geographically speaking, and everything closes. As a gym owner, how did you fight back and how did you combat that? Well, what we did was we, we closed down. The, the biggest mistake anyone made was closing down those first two weeks. It gave the government the power, and that's the one regret I have. Uh, we reopened around May 8th. Well, everything was still locked down. I got arrested on May 10th uh, shortly after that, and we just stayed open. We were the only gym basically open in Southern California, openly open. And members, we tripled, quadrupled our membership. People drove down from Pasadena, L.A. area to come work out at our gym because where else are you going to work out? Um, Despite all the criminal charges that were threatened, the daily fines that were threatened, we came out on top because we stayed vigilant. And I, I give a big credit of that to my uh, my faith in Jesus and God because I really leaned into him hard during those times. I tell you, looking at California and knowing that you pretty much have to beg to be put behind bars in California because of the felon coddling <laughs> policies. However, I watched them go and try to get surfers that were surfing during COVID by themselves on the wave, like sending in the Coast Guard because, well, heaven forbid, somebody out there surfing by themselves, they might spread COVID to the dolphins. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. But you being arrested for keeping a business open, a business that is based on health and fitness, during a time of what is supposed to be a health crisis. Now, you got to tell me how you felt now that all the studies are coming out that, oh boy, big shocker, exercise and physical fitness is one of the best ways to combat long COVID, COVID, and every other ailment in general. Did you feel like you had some vindication there, not that you needed it? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always felt I was right. I always felt that that was the only true vaccine there was, was staying healthy, seeing as how 75% of the people who are in the ICU were overweight or obese. So they're shutting down the one avenue to keep people out of the ICU, and they're telling you to stay home and order DoorDash and Netflix, which, frankly, is just going to make people get fat and unhealthy. So I did feel that, and I believe that what we had to do was just fight back and stay open. Unfortunately, many business owners just didn't do that.
They didn't do it, and then their saving grace was they got those PPP loans. But at the end of the day, when you've built a business, you don't want a check from your fellow taxpayers. You want to stay open, and you want to operate your freaking business, which is why you're in business to begin with. It was so detrimental. Uh, I know that Californians are still in love with their masks. Uh, I see it. I see the love affair with masks. They love them. They'll always wear them. We now know that masks are also useless. Many of us knew that all along, but the science keeps coming out and all of us conspiracy theorists that were shamed and called grandma murderers turned out to be right at every turn. Next thing I want to turn to, though, is another problem that you guys are still experiencing. We know that L.A. has a homeless crisis. We know San Francisco has a homeless crisis. San Diego has always had a bit of a problem with homelessness, but now it is exploding to such a level that we haven't seen before. What in the heck is going on in San Diego, California? You know, Tommy, I, I don't want to beat this dead horse anymore, but it seems like a common theme with these cities falling apart and homelessness seems to be the leadership that is leading these towns. Todd Gloria as a Democratic mayor was elected uh, in 2020, and this city has seen an explosion in homeless people. And frankly, there's tent cities, the, the homeless people are getting more aggressive, and there's really nothing being done. Nothing's being done to address the mental illness and the drug addictions is, is causing this because, frankly, no one chooses to be homeless. No one wants, hey, I want to live on the streets in a tent uh, in the middle of San Diego. And I was just down there the other day and driving around near Balboa Park area, and it was just tents lined up down the street. And I remember even just back in 2019 when I was driving down there, those streets were wide open, no tents, no homeless people. So it's a big problem. I think they're relying a lot on nonprofits doing all the work rather than trying to work with the nonprofits. Yeah, but another part of the problem is you said nobody wants to be homeless. I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I think that there are some individuals, because I've seen them in Venice, in San Diego, in San Francisco, in Portland, that maybe they don't want to be homeless, but when the alternative is working, getting off drugs, and having to make your own way in life, and instead you can be in a tent, and you can do drugs, and you can live a carefree life, I think some people do choose that. Now, are they addicted? Do they have mental health issues? Absolutely. But California makes it very comfortable comfortable to sit in a tent on Ocean Front property and just live your best life. In their opinion, that is what a lot of them are doing, because I've spoken to them. There's a lot of people that maybe they would love to be in a mansion, but if that means cleaning up, getting a job, and being a productive member of society, they're better off, in their view, being in a tent and enjoying the view. So that's part of the problem. Being homeless has gotten far too comfortable in these places, and these people don't seek help because they don't necessarily feel like they've hit rock bottom yet. That's part of the problem. But you mentioned leadership. So the last question I have for you, I have a very, very strong feeling that Gavin Newsom is going to run for president in 2024. I already see him gearing up. I lived under Gavin Newsom's tyranny for a few years. I know that you've lived under it much longer. What do you think about Gavin in 2024? Oh, sure. Why not? I mean, if you want the rest of the country to experience what California is going through, I remember before the second lockdown, he declared small business month in, in California. And then two days later, locked down the entire state. Uh, his idea for reparations for everyone in California, I think it comes up to like $50 billion because of black people who were uh, prejudiced in the 1930s for buying houses. How can we be the fifth largest economy in the world, uh, but the state's on a, on a brink of financial anarchy? We have the highest gas prices, the highest energy prices, and now they're trying to get rid of gas those in California? I mean, why wouldn't the rest of the country be dying to have Gavin Newsom lead them the way he's led uh, California into the abyss? It, it's just a perfect, great, why not? <laughs>
Well, I mean, what we have in the White House is admittedly not great, but I'll tell you what worries me more about Gavin Newsom in closing is that unlike Joe Biden, that man can speak. He is very charismatic, and when people listen to him, it's a lot like the Obama effect, that they see the policies play out, they see that it's crap, but he sounds good saying it, and he's very convincing when he does say it. So that is what I'm most concerned about with Gavin Newsom. But it's going to be up to people like you who lived in California, people like me that lived in California, that can say this is not what you want, America. So uh, I think that just like me, you're waiting in anticipation to hear that State of the Union tomorrow night, and maybe we'll get a nugget of greatness. But Lou, thank you so much for sticking out the fight in California and hopefully, hopefully making a big difference, at least where you are God bless you, and thank you for fighting back against COVID tyranny as well. Absolutely, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Still ahead. Tomorrow night is the State of the Union address. We already know Joe is going to make up some crap about how great of a job he's doing. Well, I've got some final thoughts next. Tomorrow night, Joe's teleprompter is going to try to convince you everything is going great because the unemployment rate is low. But what he and his teleprompter will fail to mention is the number of lazy asses who no longer choose to find work, much less work at all. It's time for final thoughts. The big game may be this weekend, but if stuttering lies, half-truths, and gaslighting behind a lectern is more your thing, tomorrow night's State of the Union address will be your Super Bowl. But the American people have already spoken. According to a poll from ABC, 40% of Americans say they are worse off financially than they were two years ago, yes, under Trump. And that is the most negative response to that question in nearly 40 years. Still, Joe, or more accurately, the Gen Z or millennial liberal arts major who wrote the speech, will spin the negatives, and there are a lot of them, into positives. Like, yes, our border is wide open and millions of largely unvetted illegals from all corners of the globe are waltzing in to take advantage of taxpayers, but at least paper companies will benefit from the millions of extra mail-in ballots sure to be printed and sent out in future election cycles. Or... Yes, we still have an egg and a baby formula shortage, but at least blue states are alleviating some of the pressure and population by passing extreme unfettered abortion protections. And when it comes to the multi-school bus-sized balloon elephant in the room, I'm sure Joe will tell us that what we saw in the sky over the weekend wasn't the Chinese successfully entering our airspace with a spying apparatus. It was simply a free hot air balloon show sponsored by the CCP. How generous. And last but not least, when it comes to the economy, Joe will undoubtedly tout the low unemployment rate that's at just about 3.4%, a 53-year low, which is fantastic. It really is. Unless you take into account inflation rate and wage growth in comparison, plus this little fact nugget, the roughly 7.2 million men in their prime working ages between 25 and 54 that are simply not working. They have simply decided that whole working thing is not for them. You've heard of MILF and DILF. Well, these are NILFs, the men not in the labor force. As it sits now, there are about one and a half jobs to every one worker, way more jobs than people who want to fill them. More than 770,000 manufacturing jobs are open right now, and these are high-paying jobs with many positions offering more than $30 an hour on average. So I don't want to hear these liberals say it's a pay thing. It's not. It's a freaking work ethic thing. And how did we get here? Well, part of the problem, as it always is, is government-made. For two-plus years, federal and state governments passed out COVID checks and extended unemployment benefits, convincing many people it was their health and public safety duty to stay home and fear COVID. 
The government conditioned and incentivized laziness, and now here we are. But it's also a culture problem, folks. Americans, specifically pussified young men, don't want to do the dirty and dangerous jobs anymore. They want to make TikTok videos and be influencers or buy and sell bitcoins from the basement with a video game controller on their lap. As a society, we've taught young people that work-life balance, heavy on the balance and light on the work is the new vibe. We've also created a culture where employees now feel entitled to work from home on their own schedule in their pajamas. And that might work for some professions, but hint, hint, not manufacturing and manual labor jobs that require real pants and shoes. So where do we go from here, folks? How do we convince 7.2 million men in prime working age that earning a living is something that's not only necessary, but something to be proud of? More so, how do we teach and convince younger generations that there are jobs worth doing that don't involve selfies and virtual reality? Make America work again. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.